Flashing lights, families and children bathing in smoke. Quote-unquote spiritual nightlife. Welcome to Las Vegas, land of the Gene Wilder slot machine. You will not, my friend Joe Riola contends, find a more freakish place. He just spent five nights there to be followed by four days at a Zen monastery. Here's what he saw. I'm Rob Mead Sperry, and this is episode seven of After the Laundry, The Misery. Hey, Joe. Hey, Rod. How are you, my friend? I am back in New York after five nights in Vegas. You've never been to Vegas. I have not been to Vegas, but, you know, I have all of these ideas of it in my head. What What does Vegas look like to you, Joe? Well, let me give you some perspective here. I was first in Vegas 40 years ago when I went there and I actually was driving cross country and I drove to Vegas. Wow. From where? From New York. (laughs) Boy. And it wasn't a straight line trip. It took me a while to get there. It was my first trip cross country. And when you drive to Vegas, you really experience it as it is, which is literally a city in the middle of nowhere. That city should not be in that place. It is too dry. It is too hot. There's no water. It's desolate. And yet, there it is. I think I am the only person, I'm the only person that I know, certainly, who's ever camped in Las Vegas. You camped? Yes, I camped in Vegas. Because when um, I went there in 1978, there was a KOA campground off the Strip all of course rvs except me (laughs) drove in in a dotson with a pup tent (laughs) and set up this tent and only spent two nights there i mean i experienced the city as freakish and just freakish um and i didn't feel particularly drawn there um but it's it's extraordinary it's bright it's weird it was all those things and I had no strong desire to return to Vegas until the Beatles love. Ah, so that's why. So this was almost a pilgrimage for you. Well, uh, keep in mind, the Beatles love opened over 10 years ago. Sure. <laughs> so even the Beatles love couldn't draw me back quickly. I mean, I've been producing the annual John Lennon tribute now for my 38th year doing it. You would think that by now I would have seen this much-loved show. Uh, So that was one of the reasons I went back there. And, I, you know, my wife, Lisa, had never been to Vegas either. So I thought it would be, why not? Man, let me tell you, you will not find a more freakish place. And really, one of the things that's most freakish about it is how people walking around it, everything seems normal. Yeah, all right, there's a slot machine at the airport. Okay, that's normal. There's a there's a slot machine at Denny's. That that's that's normal. There's a slot machine at the pharmacy. Is there a slot machine at the post office? Is there a slot machine at Planned Parenthood? Everywhere you turn, there are slot machines, and everything is a slot machine, man. What do you mean? Well, let's go with something obvious, like a game show, like Wheel of Fortune. There's a Wheel of Fortune slot machine. 
Sure. All right. That makes sense, right? Yeah, of course. Iron Man is a slot machine. Thor is a slot machine. Wonder Woman is a slot machine. Adam West, Batman, Burt Ward, Robin is a slot machine. Game of Thrones, slot machine. The Avengers, slot machine. Seinfeld, Sex in the City, slot machine, slot machine. Anchorman is a slot machine. Fucking Willy Wonka. Gene Wilder is a fucking slot machine. Did he sign up for this? <laughs> it's truly bizarre. And a couple of other things. You know, they used to have this allure in that the slot machines would pay cash. I remember this from, from years ago. I performed at a casino in Atlantic City in New Jersey, which was probably the last time I was in a casino. And the slot machines then made noise. You know, you'd hear the change clunking out, like when the slot machine had a money orgasm, you'd have that thrill of the of the clinking change coming out. The slot machines don't do that anymore. Wow, really? You get a piece of paper. Oh, cool. <laughs> you, get, you get a piece of paper that says, hey, you won. And you bring it to the cashier and you and and you cash out. So and a lot of the slot machines now you don't pull them anymore. You you sit there and you you push a button. I'm 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 walking out of my room at 7.15 in the morning and I'm I'm walking past a 70-year-old woman with a, a a coffee in one hand, a cigarette in her mouth, and she's sitting in front of a 12-foot high slot machine with an illuminated wildebeest and she's staring at the thing. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> this is all, it's normal. I'll say this also, this is an important part of the slot machines and it really positions Las Vegas and Nevada as a really backward place. They're smoking. Indoors, outdoors, well, all over the place. Well, obviously outdoors, but indoors, the, 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 the casinos are filled with smoke and you have to walk through them because the, the path, in any uh, hotel on the strip from the lobby to your room will lead through the casino. Think about this. We're in the 21st century and they're walking families, children. They're walking everyone through this utterly repugnant atmosphere. There is no smoke-free vegetarian casino that I was able to find. And I think, man, it just, there's a market for that, right? That's right. You know, there are vegan non-smokers who will waste their money on slot machines. I would have liked to have played roulette. I couldn't sit there. Like, why isn't there a vegan gun shop, you know, where you get free edamame while you purchase an AR-15? There's a market for that. Vegetarians are angry people. We want guns. <laughs> and, and we're frightened also. So, yes, there's a market for the vegan AR-15 shop, and there's a market for the, for the vegan casino, the smoke-free vegan casino. But, but it's not really just about the slot machines. I mean, what is it? When you're in Vegas, you, you're confronted, right, with just your appetite. Whatever, it's like Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want. That's what Vegas is all about, right? Comedy, music, uh, therapeutic touch. Family entertainment, clowns, fine dining, fast food, wine tasting, bourbon tasting, tequila tasting. Rod, there are detox places <laughs> where you can detox in Vegas. You mean like on your way out of town, stop for a quick detox? 
check in for their three or four day detox, man. <laughs> Not on your way out of town. You've lived it up too much on the strip. Come detox here. It is absolutely insane. Let me go back to the casinos and the smoke again. Because I, I went to see two shows while I was there. Hmm. I went to see Penn and Teller. Oh. And, of course, I went to see the, the, the Beatles' Love. These are both family shows. They're not a swear word. Wholesome family entertainment. Both excellent. But you have to walk through Dante's Inferno to get to the theater. <laughs> Smoke and people who are bleary-eyed and, and hypnotized by, by these machines. I remember a couple of uh, shows ago, you know, I was talking about being in church yeah. and being upset by the crucifix and no one else around me seeming to notice or being disturbed by the crucifix. Well, no one seems disturbed that they're walking their kids through the casino to get to Penn and Teller. Everything passes for normal. All of it passes for just another day. The homelessness, the people with with shopping bags and signs saying help on the, you know, on the pedestrian bridge from one casino to another. The billboards on wheels advertising hookers and, and Jerry Seinfeld at the at the Caesars Palace, not on the same billboard of, of course. <laughs> it's it is really strange. It's a very peculiar place. Hey look, there's even Zen there. You want Zen? There is a, a, a place called Dao where they have the spiritual nightlife, whatever that is. Playboy bunnies were going to be there, by the way. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right. Right. There is, though, what? an actual Zen Buddhist community in Las Vegas, though. I'm sure there is. Yeah. And I bet there's a slot machine in the Zendo. <laughs> <laughs> there's a kind of deadness there, too. The, 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 the smokers... It, at my best, I have a kind of empathy. I think, oh, my word, how has your life come to this? You, you look at yourself. You look like someone's punched you in the head and you're stumped over and you're just feeding money into a into a machine that's eating your cash. And, and the cigarettes seem a part of that because they kind of deaden things. There's nothing more unglamorous than a casino. And of course, the ads for casinos show happy, sexy couples jumping up and down with their arms raised and their they got big smiles and their cap teeth. And uh, they're celebrating because they, they've enriched themselves. There is none of that happening. None of it. All I wanted to do was get out of it. In other words, get through the get from one end of the casino to to the other to get from the lobby to the elevator to my to my room. Did you feel similarly about Vegas itself after a little while? We were like, I've had enough of this. It, you know, I didn't spend actually much time in the city during the day. Uh, we, we spent our days hiking. Okay. We went out to Red Rocks a couple of days, and we went out to a place called uh, Valley of Fire State Park, which extraordinarily extraordinary places, great beauty. And, and we spent a day on the Strip itself. You know, when you go to Vegas, you get to reflect on your desires, whatever they are, because 
whatever your desire is, there's this fantasy that I mean, you can get it met in Vegas. The spiritual nightlife to the most depraved sex you could think of. It's all there in Vegas. And it's, of course, the main intent of the place. From the moment you walk off the plane, they want to separate you from your money. It's quite a show. I'm not saying anything here that, that isn't well known. Love is extraordinary. Hearing the Beatles music, what George Martin did with this particular, with the soundtrack for this show, and, and, and what Cirque does with it, it's moving, it's exciting, it's thrilling, it's, uh, it's inspiring. It's worth going to Vegas. It was worth it for me just for that. For your senses to really open, you have to get off the strip. So did the, did the hiking help mitigate that sense of overload? Or when you were back in Vegas proper, did you find yourself even quicker to be freaked out because you didn't have a chance to deaden? It actually allowed me to see the, the strip and Vegas from a more natural place. You know, if you're spending eight or nine hours out in this extraordinary wilderness big blue skies and bright sun and, and 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 rock scrambling and in in the in the face of of these extraordinary hoodoos and and petroglyphs and just being out in nature and then you you zap back into this artificial environment <laughs> we were at the mirage and at the mirage every night actually twice a night there was a volcano show fire <laughs> erupting from the mountain the artificial mountain in front of the casino which was constructed over the artificial lake and the artificial waterfalls and streams <laughs> by the way very beautiful s simulations i'm reminded of when i my only visit to a disney property in my life which was it was on this same trip 40 years ago before I had been in Vegas, I, I was my first trip to the Grand Canyon. So I went to the Grand Canyon, and then I went through Vegas, and then I ended up in Southern California at Disneyland. And I went on the Grand Canyon ride. <laughs> and people on this ride during the Grand Canyon part of it were, they were ooing and eyeing at the Grand Canyon. It was the Grand Canyon to them. I had been at the Grand Canyon like two or three days before. This was absolutely not the grand canyon <laughs> <laughs> that's what they I should have called the ride not the fucking grand canyon how is it that you as a young person made why did you make this this big road trip as i'd never been anywhere i'd been to virginia i think i've lived in new york my whole life i've never seen anything west of pennsylvania and i wanted to see the country were you solo I was with someone I, I just met a month or so before who was looking for a companion to share expenses on a, on a trip west. I remember on that trip hitchhiking because we separated on the west coast. I remember I hitchhiked from Los Angeles to Seattle, and that's a long way. It is. I um, remember being, uh, getting a lot of short rides, and finally I got a ride uh, from someone who was going all the way to Portland. And I got the right in the back of the pickup truck. There were three people in, in the front of it. And I got in the back of an open pickup truck. And what I didn't realize that the other two 
two guys in the front were also hitchhikers. This guy in the pickup truck was picking up every hitchhiker he saw. And within the next two hours, I'd say he picked up 15 more hitchhikers <laughs> who joined me in the back of that pickup truck. And a, and a lot of these guys were professional vagrants. They, they, they were homeless. They had everything on, on their back. These guys were going from town to town looking for work, a lot of them. I remember it started to rain and we, and we pulled into, I think, Redwood National Park or, or something like five to nine, right before the, the, the National Park cafeteria closed. And we all walked in and they, and they threw us out. They wouldn't let us sit. And, and we stank and we, we, this guy drove through the night till the next morning, drove us to his house in Portland and he offered everyone LSD pancakes. And? Um, <laughs> I, I did not take them. Oh. I, I decided to move on. And I ended up sleeping the day under, under a tree somewhere along the in, interstate. It was that kind of, was that kind of trip, you know, it was a young man's trip to nowhere, really. I understand that, which is why the decision about the LSD pancakes kind of surprised me. Was that decision to forgo the LSD pancakes characteristic of what you would have done on this trip or kind of not? Well, I wasn't heavy into drug use. You know, I had tripped before. I had taken LSD while I was in college. I, I'm imagining that I thought that I'm with a bunch of strangers. I don't know. I haven't slept. Maybe this isn't the best time to trip. <laughs> if I could have gotten the LSD pancakes to go, I probably would have done it. <laughs> You know, I think you've um, just identified another market. Oh, what's that? LSD pancakes to go. The hallucinogenic breakfast shop. Yeah. It, it is amazing to me that I, that after all these years getting back to Vegas, I still had this very strong response to this very, very strange place. Um, and I guess this very um, American place, you know, there are, there are 28 casinos now on the on the strip and uh 18 of them are owned by two corporations wow but that says a lot and at the same time wow there's a there is a, a certain appeal isn't there to be a you know in this sea of people and lights and and if not real possibilities the illusion of possibilities Wow. I guess part of it, you know, brings out a, uh, an excitement. I don't know if it's a neurotic excitement or not. The weird thing is, like, I'm, you know, I'm back in New York for a couple of days, and next weekend I'll be at the monastery. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be four days at the monastery after, you know, after five nights in Vegas. <laughs> it's too weird, man. It seems like the proper just, prescription. In what order? Well, I just think uh, perhaps anybody who finds themselves uh, in Vegas could use four days of the complete antithetical experience. Oh, man. I, I just, part of me wonders how I'm going to go back there after, the, after all that stimulation. Although, you know, you, you find when, you, when you're at a monastery that there's also a lot of stimulation there too in ways that you didn't realize that, that or, or a lot of noise 
a lot of noise coming from within. You you know that. You've you've sat enough to know that you're a loud, noisy person, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> no, I don't mean to. I don't mean to insult you. I just I just uh, assume that that's true of most everyone. It's like, holy shit, I I can't shut up. I don't know if I'm loud and noisy, but I cannot shut up. Well, that's loud and noisy. Yeah. You know, and I'll tell you something about Vegas and the monastery. Also, there's this sense that I have, and this is more about me when I leave both places that I did it wrong. How do you think you could have done Vegas right? I would have deboshed more. I would have, you know, I would have would have found a, you know, that spiritual nightlife where I would have uh, would have had more more i would have satisfied my cravings more and i went there and i and i and i, and I didn't really crave enough or satisfy my cravings <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to be freed of whenever i see a commercial one of the things that makes me angriest is a commercial for whether it's coffee or donuts or a hamburger where the pitch of the commercial is crave they actually use the word crave. They tell me to crave. The hamburger is crave-worthy. Oh, it makes me nuts. I don't need to be worked up to crave. I need to be worked up to not crave. One of the names of restaurants was, or is, Cravings. That's what it's <laughs> called, buddy. <laughs> cravings. That's why you come to Vegas, to crave. And by the way, whether you crave or not, and it, while in Vegas, you're confronted with your cravings. Now, this is the, what's the Buddhist vow? D desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them. That's right. Well, not in Vegas, buddy. Cravings would be a good name for a monastery. <laughs> cravings? <laughs> I don't know if that would be a good name for a you, you'd monastery. Get, you'd get the right people in the door. You know, I always, you know, when I go through those, what, what are they called? Are they called the four bodhisattva vows? Is that what they are? The four bodhisattva vows, yes. What are the four bodhisattva vows? The four bodhisattva vows, which are the vows that um, Buddhists who aspire to be bodhisattvas, people who put others, who vow to put others before them or prioritize others before themselves, um, are beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them. Dharma gates are infinite. I vow to enter them. The awakened way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. That's interesting. It's a little different as I know them. Sure. Uh, I guess there are many, there are many variations on, on the four vows. That's right. Um, the desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them is um, is how one of them is stated in the ZMM tradition. Right. And the ZMM vows as I have them are sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save. Right. Them. Desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them. The dharmas are boundless. I vow to master them. The Buddha way is unattainable. I vow to attain it. Right. So when I find myself chanting that second one, desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them. 
in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, at least for a short time. <laughs> sure. That's kind of all you yeah, can do, right? For, it, what would that be in Vegas? Its desires are inexhaustible. I vow to satisfy them. Yeah. That's Vegas. What is life about? Life is about meeting my appetite, whether it's for a cheese plate or a, or a, or a fried zebra. Everywhere you look is a mirror if you let it be that. Until next time, visit joerayola.com for more from Joe. And for more from me, Rob Mead Sperry, and my colleagues at the Buddhist magazine and website Lion's Roar, check out lionsroar.com. Thanks for listening to After the Laundry, The Misery.